we pray. Amen. Follow as we read this passage of Scripture, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 19. This is a familiar passage, and I'm sure that you've heard many sermons on this, okay? But listen, as I read it and as you look at it in your Bible, look at it on the screen. I, John, your brother, who shared with you in Jesus the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden girdle round his breast, his head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from, from his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand upon me, saying, and listen to these verses, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now write what you see, what is and what is to take place hereafter. I've got an admission to make, and I'm not proud to make this admission, but for many years, the week after Christmas has been very depressing for me. Let me just list some reasons that I find it depressing, and perhaps you'll feel the same way. First of all, and this is very selfish, but my happiest time of the year has ended. My happiest time of the year is September to Christmas. And there are a number of reasons that I love September to Christmas. Uh, September, cooler weather is beginning to come. Hunting season begins. I feel so much better, more energized, and it all builds up to Christmas. And I can tell you that this has been one of the greatest Christmases we've ever had simply because we had a grandchild. I never knew what a grandchild would mean at Christmas time until this year. Also, the joy and happiness of the Christmas season is over. Many of you, if you've not yet gone back to work, you'll go back to work either tomorrow or on Tuesday, and you'll start building up vacation time again. Vacation's over. And Christmas decorations for those who put them up have been taken down. Many are perhaps upset because of the money they've spent or the amounts of money they have charged and must now pay off. This week, we'll probably receive the tax forms for 2011. Joy to the world. We begin climbing the bill hill for 2012. You know what I mean by that? We begin to think about all the expenses we're going to have of the coming year. And folks, this might not be a reason for you to be depressed, but it is for me. Tomorrow is the last day of deer season, and turkey season is 97 days away. It's a bad time. As I prayed about the message for today, I became greatly discouraged. 
what should I share, what should I say? And as I began to pray with all this discouragement, God began to speak to my heart and point something out to me. The celebration is not over. And folks, I'd never thought about that. Let me ask two questions. Will you and I pack Jesus away with the tree and decorations as we return those decorations and tree to the basement, to the outbuilding, or to the closet? And let me ask you something. Have we done that? Have we just neatly packed him away and we'll bring him out next year? And the second question, will our lives return to the routine earthly cares that we had before the Christmas season? There's something I discovered. God wants you and I to continue the celebration of Christmas. And folks, remember what the celebration of Christmas is all about, that Jesus came to earth to show us what? God's love. Let me remind you again of John 3.16. We're going to put that on the screen. And I want to ask you to say this verse with me, would you? Just say it. This is in the Revised Standard. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm sorry. I'm, I've got it stuck in my mind in the King James Version, so please forgive me. But folks, Jesus came to earth to show God's love, and it's not seasonal. God's love is not going to stop because we put the Christmas trees and the manger scenes back. And you know how we know that? Remember again, out of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Let's read this verse together. Matthew 1, 23. It'll be on the next slide. Let's read this. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, listen. God impressed on my heart that if I become depressed after Christmas, then I have misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misapplied the true meaning of Christmas. The celebration's not over. And folks, I began to struggle, well, Lord, if this is the message you want me to preach, then what text, what scripture should I read? And I was meditating upon this, and in those moments, a truth about the New Testament became evident. And folks, just listen to this. The New Testament begins with celebration. And the New Testament ends with what? Celebration. Folks, it's all about celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ to be our Savior and be our Lord. And be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And folks, this is truly something that you and I need to meditate upon and think about. Again, the New Testament begins with a Christmas event that God comes to man. And remember again, all the scriptures that we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only son of God. Folks, listen again to Matthew one twenty one. She shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Luke 2, verse 10 and 11, we read this last week. And the angel said to them, the shepherds, be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall come to all the people, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And folks, Matthew 1, 21, Luke 2, 10 and 11, these are words of the angels who are proclaiming heaven's proclamation of why Jesus came to the earth. 
And folks, you and I need to remember that Jesus became a man, but he never stopped being God. And folks, this is something to celebrate. Listen to this. God's will for Jesus was that he would come to this earth, that he would live, he would preach and teach and minister, do miracles, die on a cross, be buried for three days, rise again, and after 40 days, ascend into heaven. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He died on the cross as a man. But he came back to life again as God's son. And folks, let me read some verses to you that would make you and I believe as Christians want to celebrate. Look at John chapter 8, verse 14. This is going to be on the screen. Look at this. John 8, 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness to myself, my testimony is true. Now look at this next phrase. For I know whence I have come and whither I am going. Let me read that again. For I know whence I have come and whither I am going. Let me put that in South Carolina English. I know where I came from and I know where I'm headed. But you do not know whence I came or whither I am going. Folks, let me ask you something. Why do you and I doubt life after death in heaven? Because Jesus never did. Jesus talked often about dying, but he never said, I hope I go to heaven when I die. He never said that. He always said, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. And folks, listen to this in John 14, 1 through 3. And you know these verses well. John 14, 1 through 3. And I believe those are on the screen. Here we go. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I'm going to read the next phrase in chapter 2 and verse 2 in the King James. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, look at this. I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, let me show something. This is something, and I hadn't realized this. Jesus is saying heaven is a done deal. You know, we walk around, and, and I'm not, you know, all of this is by faith, and I know that. But folks, here is a son of God who is saying these things are real. That's where I came from. I'm going back. Hours before his death on the cross, here in John 14, he is telling his disciples, Listen, I'm going to die, but don't let your hearts be troubled, because in my dying, I'm going to prepare a place in heaven for you who follow me. And if you follow me, I'll come back, and I'll get you so that you can go and be where I am. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. We either believe what Jesus said or we don't. If we don't believe it, we don't have anything to celebrate. But if we do believe it, the celebration is not over. Listen to what else Jesus said. This is John 17, verses 1 through 5. John 17, Jesus is praying before he dies. Not, he's not on the cross, but he's in the garden. He is praying. And, and I'll read these five verses. Just listen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. He knows he's going to die. The cross is before him. And listen to what he says. Glorify thy son that the son may glorify thee, 
since thou hast given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now listen to verse 4 and 5. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me in thine own presence. Listen to this verse. Glorify thou me in thine own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. Folks, that's very simple and very plain to understand. Jesus is saying here that he is God. Temporarily, he became a man. Let me get you to read again John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And let me read that to you. It's going to be on the screen, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is this? John is talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then look at John 1.14. Look at this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father. Folks, what is this all about? Jesus came to earth. That's the Christmas story. He came, he lived, and he died. That was the Father's will. But folks, what happened after that? Then Jesus returned to his heavenly throne beside the Father. That's why the celebration's not over. We can put all the Christmas decorations away. We can go back to work. We can go back to our normal routines. But guess what? If we know the Christmas story, the celebration is not over. Why? Because not only does the New Testament begin with the celebration of Jesus' birth, but it ends with the celebration of his coming again for his people, for his church, and for his reign as a king of kings and as a lord of lords. And that's why I want to just say a few things about Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 19. In Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John is on the Isle of Patmos. You've heard all this before, but let me share again with you. The Isle of Patmos was a prison colony. Criminals were exiled to the island of Patmos. On a clear day, the people that were on the island of Patmos could look across the sea and see cities, perhaps cities where their friends and families lived, but they could not swim that many miles to get back to be with them. They could not be carried back by boat unless they escaped from the island, and that would not happen. And folks, the Apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos not because of murder or thievery or rebellion against the government. He was there, why? On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's what he says. Folks, it has been about 60 years after Jesus lived and died, was buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven. I often read this verse of scripture when I become discouraged because I think that John at the moment 
before he met Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, I think he was discouraged. Now think about this for just a minute. And I don't know if he was sitting out in the sunshine looking across the sea at those cities on shore where he had ministered and had preached and taught. But folks, John probably thought, my ministry is over. And I'll die on this prison colony away from my family and friends and fellow Christians. I'm sure that John thought, well, my life has meant nothing. What a way to end. He had followed the Lord Jesus Christ, and it had led him to be on an island where prisoners were held. And I'm sure as he thought about being there on that island, he thought, well, what about the gospel? Is it being proclaimed? Can you imagine how distressed and discouraged he was? But folks, let me show you something. The celebration was not over. John meets Jesus face to face again. He is not the lowly Jesus that was born in the manger. He is not the disfigured and brutally beaten Jesus that was crucified on a Roman cross. He is a resurrected, glorified, and eternal God that John describes in terms that perhaps we can't understand in verses 10 through 19. And in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this to John, Fear not, fear not. Folks, listen to this. Jesus is saying, John, don't fear standing in the presence of me, your Savior. And don't be afraid because you're on the Isle of Patmos. Don't think you've been forgotten because I know exactly where you are. And you and I know now, 2,000 years later, why God wanted John on the Isle of Patmos because God had a special revelation about his son. And God was going to give him that revelation to write down and to be contained in a book that you and I understand is the book of Revelation. And in verse 17 and 18, Jesus says to John, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, folks, does that not describe the Lord Jesus, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega that is called? I died, but I'm alive forevermore. And listen what else he says. I have the keys of hell and death. In essence, Jesus is saying to John, I'm in control. And folks, I want to just briefly share the revelation about Jesus, some of the revelation that John receives. And we're going to put it on the screen, okay? And this is a very simple breakdown of the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus walks among his churches, judging them and blessing them. Folks, I want to tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ is not absent or away from his churches. This coming year, if we will be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be in our midst and he will bless us. And folks, I want to tell you something. God blessed us this past year. And if we become arrogant and proud and think that we did it ourselves, guess what will happen? We'll fall flat on our faces like some of these churches did. 
And folks, we need to wake up. The Lord that we serve is not dead. He is alive. Regardless of what the world would say to us and how they sneer at Christianity and the gospel and the church. You know what they call us? People of traditions. We're just Baptist because this is the tradition. Our parents were Baptist. Our grandparents were Baptist. And so we're Baptist. Folks, it is not. We're Christians because God's own son left the throne in heaven, came to this earth. He lived, he died on the cross, he was buried, he was raised, he ascended back into heaven, and he's coming back again. And he is in our midst. The celebration is not over. And in chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is well aware of what's going on in the churches. Some are failing him, some are serving him. You and I must make a decision to serve the Lord Jesus this coming year. We can mope around and say Christmas is over. We'll get religious again next December. Or we can serve the resurrected eternal Lord who wants us to celebrate every single day. In chapter 4 and 5. I love those two chapters. John's invited to heaven. And guess what he sees? Chapter 4, John sees God the Father on what? His throne. He has not been defrocked, defrone, or demythologized. That's a word from seminary, okay? That won't mean anything to you. Folks, listen. John sees God the Father on on the throne, and heaven's worshiping him. And in chapter 5, you know who he sees. He sees Jesus, the Lamb of God, and heaven is worshiping him. In chapters 6 through 20, John sees the defeat of Satan, sin, death, and hell. They are all defeated by the Lamb of God. Chapter 19, there's rejoicing in heaven because of what? The marriage supper, the Lamb. In chapters 21 and 22, there is the new heaven and the new earth. You know... There's so much. This could be preached for weeks and weeks. Let me just read a couple of verses out of uh, out of chapter chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. You know, I read that as a new Christian. I couldn't understand what's the big deal about there not being any more sea. I don't like going to the beach, to be honest with you. But I don't want the beach to be taken away. That's not what John's saying. To John, the sea between the Isle of Patmos and the mainland represented separation from fellow believers in the churches and the world that he wanted to share the gospel with. Folks in heaven, there will be no separation. There will be no separation from God. We don't have to guess about, about God. We don't have to guess about heaven. Is it really real? We'll know because we'll be there with him. But folks, listen, and here's the point. Why is the celebration for Christmas not over? In chapter 22, and this is the last chapter in the Word of God, Jesus tells John three times, I'm coming again. Verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, Surely, I am coming soon. Folks, do we believe that as a church? If Jesus is coming back, well, number one, we ought to get ready. Amen? And secondly, we ought to be telling the whole world. 
Folks, if we tuck Jesus away with the Christmas decorations, we're not going to pull him out again until next Thanksgiving when we start putting Christmas decorations up. Folks, here's the point. Until we meet Jesus, let the celebration continue. We've got more to celebrate than any other group on this planet. We have the living Lord. Let me close by reading our verse of the month, Hebrews 12, 2. That's going to come back up on the screen. Listen as I read. These are powerful, powerful words. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our fate depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him. Remember remember what he said? I know from whence I've come. I know where I'm going. Jesus knew the joy of seeing his father again and saying, Father, I served you faithfully. I shed my blood so that your creation could be redeemed. Because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of what? God's throne. The Christmas story is not just a good religious story. The Christmas story is history that is preparing us for more history. And that is the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. The celebration is not over. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Most of all, Lord, I thank you for your son. still hard to believe that you would love us so much that you would send your son and he would voluntarily say, Father, I'll go. I'll go into a world that is corrupt and sinful, that is rebelling and really does not care about God, but only about themselves. But Father, I thank you that your son came. And I thank you that he died for every person that is in the sanctuary as well as on this planet. And Lord, I just pray that we will celebrate your love and we will share your love with the world around us. I pray this morning that if if someone that the Spirit of God is, is leading to trust you as their Savior, Lord, I pray right now that they would be willing to forsake self and sin and repent and turn to you as Savior and also allow you to be their Lord. And as we sing this hymn of invitation, I pray that response would be made in accordance with your will. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.